Welcome to the Hamumu Halloween Home Horror Hoedown, the podcast where we watch scary movies so you don't have to. From award-winning to completely unknown, we take them all way too seriously. I'm your host, Mike Hommel. And I'm your host, Solange Hommel. Now warning, we use a ghoulish number of spoilers, so watch the movies first. Second warning, we don't know anything about anything, so don't take us seriously as we take these movies seriously. So Lee, you and I have a long history with Stephen King. This is true. We have collected his books by the thousands. We have a whole, literally two entire bookshelves that we own, not shelves, but bookshelves, meaning sets of shelves, yes. are devoted entirely to his books. Yes. And that started pre-us. Like, you yeah. had a relationship with Stephen King books, and I had a relationship with Stephen King books. And then when we came together, we had to... We were a thruple. It's <laughs> not many people who could say they're in a thruple with Stephen King. Um, no, when we came together, we had to, like merge our collections and see where the overlap was and yeah we still have gaps that we're trying to fix but yes and we had some doubles that we got rid of yes there are a few enough gaps now that when i try to buy a stephen king book i literally cannot remember whether i have it or not it is a problem and i have to take a picture of those said two bookshelves so that when i'm at the bookstore and i'm like ooh i don't think i have this one i can look at the picture and like see if it's already on there well one that i'm pretty sure we have we do is called pet cemetery it is and that has been made into a movie multiple times multiple and we watched the 2019 version of it last night we sure did how long has it been since you read the book it has been long and long i think i probably read it twice and the last time was probably 15 to 20 years ago so Mm. not recent i would say i probably only read it once because i mean it's about kids and animals dying like it is it wasn't something that i was like "Ah, i would like to delve back into that world (laughs) but i did read it once i think probably when i was like in college maybe even high school like this is one i read a long time ago i definitely remember it but i never felt the need to go back and experience it again i remember enough to know that this movie swaps some things around in that the book is about their son gage being brought back from the dead and slicing them with a scalpel and the first movie was too i totally remember that because i have seen the original movie and in this one it's their daughter ellie gage is still there but he's fine in fact he well he's got the shining He, he does have the shining it seems he is not fine though I, I have I have concerns about him at, at that last little end scene. No, he he is the one who knows what's going on. Like he he is trying to save them, but the fact that he's like two and a half years old hampers him somewhat. It does limit his options. That takes me into my one topic with this movie, which is that it wasn't quite what I expected, and I cannot remember if the book or the original movie did this. 
But in this movie, I mean, I think everybody knows what it's about. Put your pets in the pet cemetery and they come back from the dead. Or your wife or your kids. You could put whatever you want Whomever. in there. I mean, basically, you could put like expired chicken in there and it's good again. You could do whatever. Good again? Like like ready to eat? It, well, does it only go back dirty. a certain amount or does it like <laughs> go back to being a chicken? <laughs> I, I don't actually know how it works. I definitely don't think Stephen King knew how it worked when he created it. And I don't think the people who made this movie knew how it worked because it there was no real explanation other than indigenous american magic yeah which they didn't delve into that they just had a wendigo is there and he makes this happen like there wasn't like tribal information or anything there was some where they were talking about how there was a tribe there and oh they yeah. left and they like created the deadfall so that people wouldn't go there and like yeah, there was this they whole mentioned thing that, yeah Beyond that, it was like, the ground is sour. The ground is sour. That was their thing. But you would think this is a movie where everything's normal, everything's fine, until the kid dies and they bring him back and now he's evil and killing people. Like, that's what you'd think the issue would be. But actually, from the beginning of the movie... Well, I mean, maybe not the very beginning, but long before anybody's dead, even before their pets are dead, weird stuff is happening. And it's like this this place where you go to bury people to bring them back is infecting everybody and messing with their heads. And sometimes it, well, I don't know if it helps them, but sometimes dead people, ghosts try to help them. And I thought it was kind of interesting how in the beginning they hadn't done anything yet. They had no plans to do anything you know, evil or supernatural. And they were already being told, this is going to happen. Don't do it. And yeah. that was kind of cool to me. Like there was more to it than just, hey, they come back from the dead and they're dangerous. It's there's this force out there that's doing something and you're kind of stepping on that. Well, I wonder if that is connected to the fact that they had just purchased the land that was sour. Like mm -hmm. they were now the air quotes, owners of this land. Okay, this is me taking the movie more seriously than the movie probably took itself. That's your job. But maybe this movie is somewhat a condemnation of the idea of ownership of land, right? Like that mm -hmm. by deigning to think they could own the land, they somehow triggered this evil that infested well, it maybe, to come after them. That could have been like what they were talking about, but also it affected everybody in that area. Like it was permeating everything a little bit. Their neighbor Judd had done a few resurrections himself. But here's the thing. That was it. Like the ones who had done something had gone to that place because he was taught by someone else. Like it, mm -hmm. there was a direct line until you get to this family because like the neighbor kids went to bury the dog. They buried them in, in the pet cemetery, well, yeah. not in the resurrection cemetery. Yeah. So, but that kind of that ritual of going to that pet cemetery that developed in relation to this creepy, weird resurrection cemetery. Like, this is all together. The veil is thin in this area. Sure. People are being tormented and pulled at by dark forces. Sure. I just, I think that there's a difference, though, between the people who are like, there's some kind of lore involved with this area and we, you know, bury our pets here because it's what we've done for hundreds of years. Yeah. And we don't really know why we wear the, you know, paper mache animal masks and bang the drums and, you know, do whatever. Because those kids didn't get compelled to climb the deadfall no. like Ellie did. So... 
I don't know. I'm, I'm going to hold on to the idea that they tried to own the land and the land wasn't having it. But what about whoever had that house before? Do we know anything about them? Uh, we know they're not around. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, know, also he went and he looked up, you know, articles about what's going on in this town. And he found some, there was no explanation for any of these, but some weird things like he's like, oh, somebody's body went missing from the morgue. And mm-hmm. something about pet, oh, a, a dead cow was found walking around in town. And not not that it was dead at that point, but... Right. They knew it had been dead, and here it was walking around in town. Which made me wonder, like, who <laughs> carried a cow over that deadfall yeah. and off, you know, 50 miles into the woods to... Across the swamp. Yeah. I don't... That was a whole group effort. A lot of people. <laughs> Everyone in town loved that cow. <laughs> it was a good cow. Um, he was a good cow, Brent. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. 14 out of 10. Was the body Norma? Was that Judd's wife? No, I don't think so because it. I think I feel like it said something about a veteran, body of a veteran or mm. something. So mm. I, I think that was just somebody else and we don't know anything about it. But sure. just it was just showing that this kind of stuff is going on. Well, I mean, it makes sense that there are a few, there are always a few people in town who know the actual truth about it. And then there's, you know, all this other simmering rumor that's not connected or where they don't know that you have to bury them and then put the rocks and like do whatever. There wasn't much more to it than that. (laughs) That was the process. I feel like you could accidentally trigger this ritual pretty easily. Well, the trick is you have to know the right place. Beyond that, it's pretty easy. Right. (laughs) You, You dig it and you stick rocks on it. All of that stuff you're talking about where he goes and he does the research and he finds the many times throughout history that this thing has happened and nobody has put it together yet until <gasps> aha, aha. our intrepid hero figures it all out is a very Stephen King thing. Yeah. Also, he didn't really figure anything out. He was just told by his neighbor. <laughs> well, that's true. But like to go to have a scene or to have part of the story be going back and like getting snippets of yeah. this same story happening at uh, different times, especially very specific times, like every 17 years or whatever, uh-huh. you know, Stephen King likes that idea of, of cyclical horror, of repeating patterns of evil that go unnoticed i'm on board and he's also very much into the idea and maybe this is something that comes from living in a place like maine where evil comes back over and over (laughs) i wasn't gonna say that no where everything like there are a lot of communities that are very insular like Mm -hmm. that the people who are there have been there for hundreds of years and the people who aren't there don't need to come we're not interested in having them join us. That reminds me that I know because it's burned into my head in the original movie, their neighbor who may or may not have been named Judd in that one was very main. And he was like, sometimes dead is better. (laughs) And uh, that's in my head. And in this one though, John Lithgow is their neighbor and he is so Minnesota. He's he's like one of your uncles. You think? <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah, I can He wasn't doing it. any kind of like Maine accent thing. Well, and he wasn't doing a Minnesota accent no, either, but but he's very Midwestern. Yeah. Yeah, he did have more of a Midwestern vibe. It was interesting to 
have this story which you know is a main story because all Stephen King stories are main <laughs> That's stories. That's what it's about. <laughs> regardless of where they actually take place. You know, it was it was funny to have it not be as main as I am used to him being. Mm-hmm. But I think I kind of just inserted it because like he wasn't doing a main accent, but he there were a couple of times where it was there was something Yeah, that was the Minnesota. Is that what that is? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think that's his natural state. I'm sure he's from somewhere around there. John Lithgow? Yeah. Now I want to know where John Lithgow's from. Okay. Let's find out. Oh, he was <laughs> born in Rochester, New York. Okay. Well that that's almost Maine. I mean, kind of. Yeah. He could say Nor'easter. Maybe. Like, he he had some kind of, uh, not hick, but like country things that he said. And like, he knew that you got to pull the stinger out and then rub some mud on it and then put some baking soda on it later. Like, he had had some country living under his belt. That was a weird bee sting scene because I didn't even notice she got stung by a bee. Like, when I looked back on it in my mind i'm like oh okay there was a there was a nest there that her foot hit cool but we never saw bees we didn't hear bees she just fell off this pile of wood and he was like oh let me pluck this out of your leg and i was like i feel like they didn't give us the the cues we need for a bee sting so there were a number of things in this movie where i'm like oh this is close enough to my lived experience that i am (laughs) feeling a little uh like you got this wrong and i Uh, can tell yeah it looked like where you grew up Here's the thing. That was a wasp's nest, for mm. sure. Classic. Classic. Her wasp foot, stingers don't come out. Her foot kicked it, and then she fell down. And I assumed that I had been wrong in thinking that it was a wasp nest. Yeah. Because she fell down, and she clutched her leg like she heard it falling off of a Th- pile of wood. That's what I thought happened. And so I was like, okay, maybe there weren't any bugs. And then he's like, let me pull the stinger out. And I'm yeah. like, oh, no, no, sir. No. No. <laughs> If you kick a wasp's nest, you run. You get, there's not like, ow, and then there's one little thing and you just lay there holding your leg while someone pulls the stinger yeah. out. No, hundreds of wasps come out <laughs> and they all come after you at once and you run through the forest trying to escape from them and then you are in pain for a long time. Yeah. And you don't just go, ow, those things hurt. Well, they also, more importantly, was the other part you said, they all get you. It's not one and you're done. No, she would have been small. It would have been a my girl situation. (laughs) Let's not spoil other movies. (laughs) Okay, come on. If you don't know what happens in my girl at this point, you're listening to the wrong podcast. Because we cover it regularly. (laughs) No. Because it's so old. It is old. No, it just would have been, it would have been a much bigger situation. And it wasn't. And I don't understand why they had to have the whole wasp thing happen. That's weird. Because she could have just fallen off of that giant pile of sticks she shouldn't have been climbing on. And hurt her ankle like I thought she did. Yeah. He still could have used some kind of country bumpkin solution to fix it, you know. They couldn't come up with a solution for that. (laughs) I mean, he could have, like, made a splint out of twigs and then yelled, make sure you put some ice on that when you get home or some nonsense, you know? I don't know. So that was one of the things that bothered me. Okay. Another thing that bothered me is that this family has moved from Boston to Ludlow, Maine, which we just learned has a population of about 400 people. And 
the dad is a doctor and they keep talking about how they move to the country for a, a slower life and yes. he's going to spend more time with his family and you know all of this <laughs> is easy wow he was wrong okay well he was super wrong but even if none of this stuff had happened he was also super wrong because i grew up with a doctor as a parent in a small town in northern yeah. Minnesota. And that's not an easy job. Well, and they showed that. Like, he was, he went to his place, which I kept thinking he was the school nurse. Was there not a school there? It was weird. I mean, I don't know. I don't know why you thought he was a school nurse because it was very clearly stated it, that he was a doctor. It, I, no, it was. That but, he used to work in the emergency room in but, Boston. Yeah, yeah, I totally got all that. But then the place where he went to work, it was like, yes, it was a doctor's office, but there were multiple points where I'm like, is he going into a school to do this? Maybe it was close to the college because they yeah. talked about the kid who got hit by a car. Anyway, <laughs> here's the thing, though. Even when they did show that his job was you know, there was stuff going on. Yeah. Everyone else in that hospital acted like they had never seen blood before. And there was like this idea that in the country, nothing bad ever happens. Like, Until oh, you, you showed up, right? You don't need an emergency room. You don't need it. You're not going to be on call at any point because it's just, you know, little things like shots and, you Bee know, stings. whatever. No, mm. sir. In the country is where the most horrific things happen because you have people riding their snowmobiles through barbed wire fences and people mm. like shooting each other in the woods during hunting season and tractors rolling over on children. Like bad things happen in the country and country yeah. doctors have to deal with all of it. And I was a little offended on behalf of this like country hospital where this car accident victim comes in and they all act like they've never <laughs> ever seen anyone hurt they before. haven't seen cars before. And he, being the big city doctor, has to be the one to, like, take care of uh -huh. everything. And he, you know, he figures it all out. Yeah, that no. was funny that the nurse was like, oh, you could see his brain. And he's like, get it together. Right? <laughs> and I have met country nurses, and they don't need doctors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, so that, that part really bothered me because it felt so like it was a big city person, whether it was, I don't know if that was in Stephen King's story or if that was something that came from the director because he was some Hollywood Yahoo, but like there was an attitude of like people who live in small towns are stupid and that was offensive. Sorry. They coming right for you. They were, mm -hmm. although it sort of was an offense of like, nobody makes fun of my little sister but me because <laughs> yeah. i will readily admit that i have said nasty <laughs> things about small town living before yeah but, on this podcast yes but not that i would never disparage small town medical professionals uh, at any level because they are all doing things that big city folk have no idea how to handle yeah and it's possible that in a town of 400 the clinic and the hospital and the elementary school and the post office are all of the same building. <laughs> yeah, that could be that. Maybe that's what I was seeing. So before I was talking about like things that Stephen King does in his writing. And there was another thing from this movie that is very common in Stephen King books. That is one of the reasons I think that I like Stephen King books as much as I do. Mm, like I do like spiders. the whole... No, not spiders. I do like the whole like pulling up the dark history of places that like to pretend that they don't yeah. have dark history. Like I think that's that's always a good thing 
for us to do. But the thing that was most prevalent in this movie, in Pet Cemetery, is that he always ties the horrors that they are experiencing to their own personal traumas, often childhood traumas that they have been carrying with them for decades. And that while maybe not being directly related to what's happening or, you know, not being a cause of what's happening, definitely gets in the way of them handling what's happening. And in this case, it's that, you know, the whole movie is about how do we handle death and are we okay with death? Can we let something die and leave our lives and not cling to it? Um, A very Buffy the Vampire Slayer theme. (laughs) But it also deals with the mother's personal childhood trauma of having Mm -hmm. a sister who had like a degenerative disease that killed her. Well, (laughs) well, well, she killed her. That killed her in a way, but that she had like as a child, she did something that caused her sister to have an accident that ultimately killed her. Like the, the conflux of dying and not being able to handle death because that's really what it was as a child she was afraid to go in the room where her sister was dying and so the thing that she did caused her sister to have an accident which caused her to die sooner so she's got all of this like guilt and trauma and fear and sense of mortality that she's been carrying around which then as everything unfolds in this story the cat dying the daughter dying like things coming back from the dead. (laughs) Like she could not handle any of it because she had all of this unprocessed trauma that she had already not handled and her bucket of trauma was full. And that was another place where we go from, you know, raising the dead is a problem because they attack you to there's this bigger force at work because I mean, or maybe it's just her trauma because in the later half of the movie, she kept hearing her sister mm-hmm. around it in the walls and like things would rattle and stuff. And that was, it was interesting. It felt like death was coming, trying to break through into our world or, or something. And the manifestation of guilt, because for her, mm-hmm. it was her sister. And for him, for the doctor, it was this college kid who died yeah. in a car accident who kept appearing to him yeah, like that these these manifestations of guilt around death were becoming real, were mm-hmm. were were solidified in some way by this evil that was on their property. Yeah. Their property that went further back than they would care to go. Uh, right? He goes to the neighbor and he's like, "Well, how much of this land do I own?" Like, no, sir. They That's gave not how you buying property works. <laughs> also, that cemetery was probably on the map they gave you. Like, were yeah. you not paying attention, Mr. Big City Boston ER doctor? <laughs> of course not. Small town nonsense. When you live in the country and you go to your neighbor and you're like, how much of this property do I own? And they're like, not much. No. <laughs> All of this stuff behind that that tree there, that all belongs to me, actually. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was annoying to me how how careless this whole family was about being out in the country. Yeah. The other kind of big idea that comes into this movie though is the idea of whether there is an afterlife. Yeah, because, they have a discussion. Right? Because the mom with all of her trauma deeply wants to believe that there is something good that happens after you die. Deeply wants to believe this. And the dad I don't know, maybe his science background or whatever. He's just like, nope, there's nothing that's after. Like, 
Yeah. We are just living beings and then we're not. <laughs> it's fun. Their cat dies and Ellie's asking them about this stuff because of that. And the mom's doing the whole religious angle. The guy, the dad is rolling his eyes at that. And he starts doing the whole science angle and she starts rolling her eyes at that. Right. And they're all doing it in front of their <laughs> nine-year-old daughter, definitely helping her process a lot as they have this argument. But then by the end of the movie, they're both proven wrong in the sense that there is something after and it is terrible. It's absolutely <laughs> terrible. Which is not it's a the comforting worst. thought. <laughs> yeah, you really don't want to die. Yeah. Although, and here's the thing, I don't remember if this was in the book or not, and I don't know if it was in the first movie or not, but at the end of this movie... So, okay, first of all, very important piece of this whole coming back is... Whoever does the thing, whoever buries the corpse in the sour ground, when that thing comes back to life, it belongs to the person who did that. So mm -hmm. like he, the neighbor guy, Judd, was saying, well, you know, this was Ellie's cat, but you did this thing. So now this is your cat. And it was very clear that Churchill, Church, the <laughs> cat, was following him around, like was protective of him, was trying to like didn't like any of the other people, which then carries over when he is the one who buries his daughter Yeah, and she comes back and she's like, I would like to get rid of all the other family members because I want him all to myself. Except of course, then she also tried to murder him after, but after all those other ones. Right. I mean, I think, so that's, that's the part that I'm not sure was in the book is by the end. So she kills her mother drags her out into the woods, buries her so that she comes back. And now there's the two of them and they get him and drag him out. And now there's the three of them. And the movie ends as they are walking up to the car that Gage is locked inside. Yeah. Classic bad horror ending. Right? Like bad as in evil negative, not right. poorly done. No, I thought it was a really good ending. <laughs> yeah. But also a very depressing ending because I'm like, oh, there's no way that this like two and a half year old, three at the Ugh. most, there's no good ending for this kid. No, it was real bad for him. Like, yeah. And it's this idea that this is, this is ballooning. Like the forces of death have come to earth now and they're going to multiply and just wipe everybody out and make the world zombies. I didn't even go there. I was just like, oh, now the whole family is... Yeah. On the same side of the veil, I guess. Like, <laughs> yeah. I didn't even think about the fact that they would probably go get other people. I mean, maybe they maybe, maybe not. Maybe they're just happy maybe, family. Yeah, maybe now they just live in their little house and they've got their their <laughs> dead, dead mom cat. and dad and their dead sister and their dead brother and their dead cat and everybody's happy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But it was, it, I don't remember that part from before. I don't remember. I don't think that's how them it ended. Trying to like recreate the family unit on this, you know, the dark side of the deadfall. Yeah, I would say I definitely don't remember this, but what I think it is, is in the original movie, it's the trauma of he has to kill his son because his son, he raised right. him from the dead and he's going around murdering people. So he actually has to kill him. And that's deeply right. traumatic and terrible, but it's not this. <laughs> Which I feel like is a much more horrific horror ending. Like this one was almost... Happy. Well, like I said, I almost was like, oh, they're all together now. Like, I don't know. I guess. The fact that it closed on them closing in on the little baby was, it was pretty upsetting. It was dark, <laughs> but there was like a, 
there was a little nugget of like I don't, maybe it's just me. I don't know. You just love family um, unity. Yeah, but but it was weird in a sense because it was clear that when Judd brought his wife back, like it didn't talk about it, but it was made obvious that Judd had had to take his wife out after the fact, and he had talked about like pets and whatever. You know that there were other instances where someone brought something mm-hmm. back and then had to end that thing again. And so it was a little weird for that to not be the ending, right? Like it felt like pulling a punch, I guess, is why I say it felt like a happier ending. Like the movie didn't make him take responsibility for what he had done. Well, I mean, that's true, but he did have a brutal WWE fight with his daughter in the graveyard, which is, so, I mean, he definitely tried to kill her and then he just got run through. So that was that. By his wife. Like, Mm -hmm. see, and now it it takes the original point of the book (laughs) and like changes it to have the ending go the way it did. I think did. I think this is a definite change from the original story. That thing I brought up at the very beginning, the idea that this was all sort of coming for them before they did any resurrecting, was what I really liked about this movie. Like, it it was a surprise to me. I was really expecting, you know, like most horror movies, they begin with, like, this is normal life, everything's cool, and then a terrible accident, now we bring him back, and now we have to deal with this evil zombie. So... That's what I was expecting, but instead they gave us this creepiness from the beginning. It was like a haunted house movie, basically, Mm -hmm. but it was a haunted everywhere. It was haunted people. And I liked that, and that was fun. I liked the ending where they, you know, became the zombie redneck family from Cabin in the Woods. And I I was disappointed to learn when the TV recommended we watch Pet Cemetery Bloodlines. Mm -hmm. Disappointed to learn that that's a prequel rather than the further adventures of the zombie family. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's called Bloodlines. Come on. But I really have few complaints. I didn't love it, but it it was pretty good. And I I thought it came up with some interesting ideas and changes to the original that actually did something new and interesting with it. So I will give this movie four bourbon and horse tranquilizers out of five. Really? Yeah. Pretty solid. Okay. I didn't dislike this movie for what it was. Like, it's... Fairly light for horror. It's a light little child murder. Right? Yeah. I think what I mean by that is the ratio of like dark to light was swung in the make this movie accessible to the average person side of things as opposed to because of the the things that happen, it could have gone very dark and could have been the kind of horror movie that only determined horror (laughs) aficionados want to watch. I don't think they would have done that with the Stephen King story, though. Which is kind of too bad. Yeah, that might be interesting. I think... Get Rob Zombie to do a Stephen King story. This is what I'm saying. (laughs) Because I think that Stephen King dives into some of the scariest things, and it's not... The aliens and the killer clowns and, you know, like the things that people think are the horrors in his books. Those are the window dressings. The true horrors are the things that people do to each other. And in small main towns. Yes. (laughs) And under the cover of small town, you know, 
Minnesota nice kind of mm-hmm. things. Like, I think that there is a potential for anything that Stephen King writes, any of his stories, if you were to focus in on that piece of it instead of on the, like, supernatural pieces of it, they would be much darker, much heavier stories. Yeah. And I think maybe that's why I like the ones that I like. Not only do I like the ones that are really long because they take me longer to read, but, you know, the ones I go back to all the time are It, Needful Things. Needful um, Things about the human heart. The Stand. Like, the ones that are very much about the things people do to each other. Mm-hmm. On large and small scales. So, I don't know. I think this was made very light. It could have been very dark. So, for that, it was done well. Like, I didn't have complaints about any of the way this movie was made. But it didn't compel me. Like, mm-hmm. I wasn't enthralled by it by any means. And as with any Stephen King movie, I would go read the book again before well, I would watch the movie of again. Of course. But, I mean, that's not necessarily an of course for all horror things. Hmm. Because sometimes there is something to, like, there's something added to having the visual, you know, the darkness, the gore, the whatever, like it Mm -hmm. adds to the scary. They don't do that with Stephen King books because they just, they never (laughs) make them right. There's something about Stephen King where it feels like, you know, since everybody knows who he is, he's part of our culture. He's Mm -hmm. He's an American icon. So you can't make niche products for Stephen King. They have to be mass market. Right. He's accessible horror in the book world. So if Mm -hmm. you make a movie, everyone thinks like, oh, everyone can go see this. Like, yeah. yeah. Not like people seeing Rob Zombie horror (laughs) movies and are like, no, thank you. But they already know from his music that he's maybe not for everybody. They've got the clue. Yeah. I I wanted this to be, I wanted this to be more. Mm Mm-hmm. But I also wasn't surprised that it wasn't because this is always what they do. So I guess I would give this three bourbon and horse tranquilizers out of five because it it feels like a very middle of the road, not too bad, not too good kind of horror movie to me. Okay. And I think they hit the mark in terms of a lot of people. If anyone generally likes horror, they're generally going to like this movie probably yeah i think i think it it went in ways that are unexpected to the norm and that's kind of the the benefit yeah and it had some of that you know it had the world building and the character building that stephen king does that makes you care like i cared about the characters in this movie in a way that i definitely have not cared about a lot of the characters in a lot of the movies we've seen two movies were a big problem in that regard yeah so suddenly like he created whole people that i was like oh this girl you know Mm -hmm. and her cat and her brother and you know this is a family and i know things i feel like i know this family and it's sad when bad things start happening to them i will say though the premise that their neighbor would be like hey let me show you the demon cemetery where we can bury your cat so it'll come back after the things he'd been through not believable no, and they even tried to explain it. He was mm-hmm. like, oh, your daughter has just touched my heart in a way that nobody has in so long that I just don't want her to be sad. So instead, <laughs> you want her to have a possessed cat? Like, yeah. what are you even doing? Well, it, they they went a little further. They said, oh, but, you know, my dog kind of had a mean streak. So I figured with your cat, it would be fine. Ignoring that he had also resurrected his wife. Maybe he didn't. Maybe did he? he? Maybe he didn't. 
I don't. I thought they he did. did not make it clear that he did. He definitely talks about how he said something about how like you 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 tell yourself stories or you justify mm-hmm. it in whatever way, like it kind of referencing the idea that it it pulls you in. This and was you another convince yourself that you should be doing it. It was another movie about addiction, sort of. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. like the, it was. Especially when the when the dad stayed home after the daughter had died and the rest of them were leaving because they didn't want to be around this house where mm-hmm. their daughter had died for a while. He's like, I'm going to stay here and take care of things. And that was him, you know, doing his drugs in secret. Mm-hmm. Like he was going to go dig her up and take her out there. And it was very much about that. When the wife came back even, he was like... I just needed a little more time with her. Like yeah. I wasn't ready. It was sort of the I could quit any time, but not right now because I, I don't want to. Anytime. <laughs> I could let my daughter be dead anytime I wanted to, but I don't want to right now. Oh, no, not yet. Yeah, yeah. There was definitely like a little bit of addiction going on there. Fight the horror of a world gone mad. My political connection this week is going to be with the fact that most of the trouble this family experienced came from the Orinco trucks driving way too fast on this little, like, tiny little middle-of-the-woods yes. highway. I think you're turning into Andy Andy Rooney now. <laughs> I, was, I was trucks going too fast. Too fast. No, like, most of what happened, though, the cat got hit, the, mm-hmm. the that started off things and then the girl got hit because of that and so much of what went on was because this massive corporation was driving its trucks too fast through a small community yeah and instead of doing something about it instead of like regulating this large corporation instead they just created this weird religious cult ritual situation where if the corporation ran over your dog you just buried it in the special ground and brought the dog back i'm like right. i don't know maybe change the speed limit on that road and put a cop or two out there yeah that was a stopgap solution right so i feel like my connection here is if we pull that into the real world there are a number of instances where there are large corporations doing things that are harmful to our communities. And instead of regulating those corporations in some way, we just create this thoughts and prayers situation around it. Uh, And as I'm speaking, I am realizing that I am specifically talking about the NRA. Makes sense. I didn't realize that when I started this, (laughs) like, because there are a lot of places, but immediately I'm like, oh, yeah, Guns are murdering our children, and because there are people who are getting rich off of it, we don't do anything about it. We're just like, oh. And it's not that we don't do anything. It's that we do things, but they're so backwards and such Mm -hmm. a massive boondoggle. Like, just all this money going to making things more horrible, like, you know, Mm -hmm. metal detectors in schools Mm -hmm. and locking all the doors and giving the teachers guns and... Insanity. I was actually listening to one of the Sunday episodes of Progress Texas, mm-hmm. the Progress Texas podcast. As recommended on the Mumu Halloween Home Horror And they were interviewing a candidate for Texas Senate who's running against Te- Ted Cruz, Roland Gutierrez. He is currently a senator here in Texas, and he would like to be a senator at the U.S. level. 
And he was specifically talking because one of the things that got him into running for this position is the fact that his district includes Uvalde, Mm -hmm. where, you know, recently there was a horrific shooting at a school. And he was talking about the fact that there is more training required for educators and students on how to handle a mass shooting at a school than there is on the police and law enforcement who should handle if something like that happens at a school. Yeah. Like he, he literally said that the amount of training that happens is, is greater for educators and children than for the paid professionals. And that is a perfect example of, of the political situation I saw in this movie. Yeah. We're not going to dystopia. Yeah. We're not going to, we're not going to, put a a speed limit here. We're not going to, you know, do anything to stop the trucks from running over our children. We'll just bring them back from the dead after they die. We'll just keep funding this swamp. Exactly. So um, my political tip is... Don't resurrect anybody. Maybe listen to that Progress Texas interview of Roland Gutierrez. He is, in my mind, a very viable candidate for U.S. Senate representing Texas. And I would way rather have him mm. voting on my behalf than our toad of a senator, Ted Cruz. Yes. There is no one who likes Ted Cruz. No. Ted Cruz doesn't even like Ted Cruz. No. Which is I, part of the problem. He? Anyway, check him out. And if you like um, what his stance is, which he has this interview, I'm only a little ways into it, and he's already talked about many of the uh, top issues, and I liked everything he had to say. Check him out. And if you like what he has to say, consider voting for him if you're a Democrat in the primary coming up in March. And if you are not in the general... Hey, he's not Ted Cruz. Think about that. In the general election in November, you don't have to be a Democrat to vote in that one. Mm -hmm. Although it helps. (laughs) (laughs) It does help. All right. Well, we're going to get out of here and go see another scary movie. We'll tell you all about it next week. Okay, bye. Bye. Welcome to our podcast, which is called Mike and Sully Talk About Movies. It's not called that. What's it called? I'm asking you what it's called. (laughs) I think you should answer. (laughs) It's called... (laughs) You have to try for real. Don't make a joke of it. I'm I'm trying to remember what all five of the words are, and then I will try to remember what order they go in. She knows there are five words. Then they all start with H. And they all start with H. It's the Hamumu Halloween Home Horror Hoedown. What just happened? (laughs) That has never happened before. (laughs) I don't even know how to deal with this. Wow. I'm not so dumb.